Hey, this is Elevation Gains Podcast. I'm Jim, an avid backpacker and hiker from Reno, Nevada. I'm Holly, a coach and weightlifter. I own a strength gym in Oakland, California. And on this podcast, we attempt to break down some of the barriers that keep people from enjoying the backcountry. I'm really excited about this episode. We got into some topics that have meant a lot to both of us that we've seen and experienced on and off the trail. Do you want to talk a little bit about what we talked about? Yeah. So this episode is all about gatekeeping and the many different forms that that takes. And for me personally, this was a a really important episode to record because uh, I've experienced several of the types of gatekeeping that we talk about, and I've witnessed several of the types of gatekeeping we talk about. And from time to time, I've, I've been unsure, you know, how to handle those situations, both as, as the recipient of, of the criticisms and as just a witness to the criticisms. Yeah. And I actually learned a lot. Uh, Your conversation about your experiences taught me a lot about a world that I haven't lived in. And I thought it was really fun that we got to go back and forth between what we've seen and what we experienced and how we would want people to deal with those things around us and how we're, you know, hoping the culture changes going forward. Yeah, I definitely learned a lot too. There there was a side of this that although I had witnessed, you know, this, the type of gatekeeping I've never personally experienced it, and I didn't know, you know, at what point is it acceptable to to step in and help? And I didn't know that answer. And I think we we touched on that a little bit, and I definitely learned a lot. Right. I think it was. I think it was really fun. I think it was really informative, and I'm really excited to hear what people think, which is not usually my opinion uh, necessarily. I love hearing what people think, but I think that this can turn into a larger conversation, and we can all learn and grow from it. So hopefully you guys love it too. Yeah, I, I definitely hope it does turn into a larger conversation because I think I, th- I think gatekeeping in and of itself is one of the biggest hurdles that a new hiker or a new person to any outdoor activity has to face. And so I'd like to see some of those conversations happen and, and maybe some of those solutions be taken into the real world. Yeah. All right. So without further ado, here's the episode. Hello, welcome to another episode of Elevation Gains Podcast. My name is Jim, and as always, I'm here with co-host Holly. Hi! And hi, you have some big news to share. I'm engaged! I'm going to be like a wife. That's just really exciting. exciting. Congratulations, that is really cool. Very cool. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, The day was really special, too. We... uh, Spent the whole day free diving, and what we had just come back from was we were diving in this cove in San Diego, 
And uh, there was a colony, as most folks know, um, the most popular beach, two beaches in San Diego have sea lions and seals on them, respectively. And sea lions are pretty scary in the water. They're definitely big, wild animals. And so we were looking at them from a reasonable distance. And I dove down about 15 feet. And all of these baby sea lions dove into the water and started playing with me and playing with Brian. And it was just this absolutely magical experience of feeling like I was in, honestly, it felt like I was in an aquarium with a bunch of baby sea puppies that wanted to splash me and blow bubbles in my face. Oh, um, wow. And then we got dinner and went to the hotel and he tricked me into making even a drone video of it. So there's also a video of it. It's really, really fun. Well, that is super exciting. That's very cool. That's my exciting news, but you just got back from some fun stuff too. Yeah, I just did my first kind of canyoneering trip, I guess you would call it, in uh, southern Utah. A friend of mine and I did the Little Death Hollow Wolverine Canyon Loop, and it was my first time being in a slot canyon ever. So it was pretty cool. I uh, had some obstacles that I had to navigate and things to learn that I didn't know. I, I was able to stem one water obstacle. Uh, and stemming is when you, you spread both feet out really far. So you're kind of spread eagle almost over the water. And so you got a foot on each side of the canyon. And I managed that. And then there was a larger uh, water obstacle that we had to bridge, which is where both feet are on one side of the canyon and both hands are on the other side. And uh, I don't want to give too much away because it's all going to be in the videos on the YouTube channel, but I was less than successful at bridging. <laughs> okay, but can I just uh, go back a little while? And you have one foot on one side of the canyon, one foot on the other side of the canyon, and you take one foot off and then you walk on the sides of the canyon. Can you say a little more? Essentially, yeah. So you're using your hands and your feet. But like your right hand and your right foot are on the same side of the canyon. Your left hand and your left foot are on the same side of the canyon. So you kind of brace yourself with your arms, move your one foot forward, move the next foot forward, move your hands forward. And you just kind of shimmy along, you know, and the canyon is like, at this point, it's maybe 20 inches wide, which I mean, I'm kind of a bigger guy. I'm almost 20 inches wide, you know, so it's, I'm kind of cramped in. My elbows are like pinned up against my rib cage and I'm trying to, get across and the the water in the canyons is so murky you have no idea it could be ankle deep or it could be waist deep and without like probing it with like your trekking pole or something or falling in you really have no way of knowing how how deep these puddles can be wild okay that sounds like an absolutely epic and incredible trip but i have to ask you nevada sierras or canyonlands have you been converted to the desert so they're completely different and, and they're beautiful and wonderful each in their own way. It was, it was kind of a surreal experience walking through the canyons because, you know, I'm used to walking along and seeing these huge epic views and being able to like see for miles. And like, I can see the next mountain range and the one after that and the one after that, if I'm lucky on a clear day. And in these canyons, you're in this little slot. That's anywhere from like 36 to 18 inches wide. You know, and some of the, some of the spots we had to take our packs off and like shimmy through sideways. Um, and uh, 
all you see is the canyon walls because they're hundreds of feet high. But the way the sandstone is worn down over just centuries of, of wind and water is its own kind of view. So even though I'm not seeing these epic, you know, mile long alpine views full of trees and, and, and wildlife, you're seeing just centuries of geology and you can touch it. It's right there. So uh, they're both awesome. I, I would, I would happily do either kind of hike at any point. That sounds incredible. And were there a lot of other people on the trail? We saw three other people in three days. Amazing. That, yeah, it was. And that that's one of the weirder parts about being in the canyon is uh, it is eerily quiet. Like there were probably mile long sections. Literally all we heard was just the sound of our own feet in the sand. No, no wind, no birds, no anything. You just hear crunch, 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 crunch of your, of you and your, your hiking partner walking along and you lose all sense of distance. So I was trying to get like these tricky shots for the YouTube videos of like my hiking partner coming around the bend. And I'm like, I can hear him waiting, waiting, waiting. <laughs> Cause you have, you have no spatial awareness. Like it's just the, the footfalls could be 10 feet away or half a mile away. And you just, you have no sense because of the way the sound echoes through the canyons. So it was a really interesting just situation to be in. Did it ever feel creepy? Oh yeah, definitely. There was a, there was a couple of parts <laughs> oh, yeah. where we had to go. Yeah. There was a couple of parts where we had to go under things. And so uh, I'm going, can you hear my dogs going crazy? Yeah, but it's okay. Dogs are fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there was a couple spots where we had to crawl under obstacles. And it would just be, you know, this little gap under this giant boulder. And so the, the guy I'm hiking with is like 165 pounds, like five foot nine. So he just takes his pack off and scoots through. Like he can almost like duck walk underneath him. I'm six feet tall and 230 pounds. <laughs> So I'm like on my hands and knees and all I can think of is that movie 127 hours. Like the whole time I'm underneath this boulder, I'm just like, this is where it happens. This is where my arm gets pinned and I have to cut it off with a, with a multi-tool that I don't, don't have with me. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of the ultimate creep factor. Like, I hope I don't die in this canyon. All right. Shimmy, shimmy, shimmy. Yeah. And it's, uh, water's really scarce. So there was a, a couple of points where we were carrying like anywhere from four to six liters each. And so a liter of water, for those who may not know, weighs 2.2 pounds. So you're carrying your pack weight again. Yeah. It's like my, my full pack weight with my starting water and my food was 24 pounds. And I, my starting water was like two liters. And then, you know, I'd had to add at sometimes four to five more liters, you know, so 2.2 times four or five, all of a sudden my nice light 24 pound pack is very heavy. Um, but I did have the absolute honor to get to test drive a brand new pack and I'm not going to give it away yet. Cause it's definitely a video coming, but I got to try a prototype pack made by a cottage company and 
hands down the most comfortable backpacking experience I've ever had. I'm so excited about that review. Um, okay, so do you want to introduce our topic? Yeah. So today I thought uh, it would be fun to talk about gatekeeping in the backcountry. And then uh, maybe later in the episode, depending on how far we get, we had talked about maybe talking about some media creation tips and tricks. So, yeah. Okay, so you introduced me to gatekeeping at the beginning of this episode. It's something that I've definitely experienced, but I have never really called it that. Can you break down what that means in the context of what we're going to talk about? So to me, uh, in especially in relation to backcountry spaces, you'll you'll hear sometimes, you know, somebody will be like, oh, what's your what's your base weight? And then if your base weight's more than 10 pounds or more than nine pounds, like, oh, ugh, why are you carrying so much? Why? Ugh, why would you carry that? Why would you carry this? Um, but that's just one example. Like another example of gatekeeping that I've personal experienced as a bigger guy is is kind of a more passive gatekeeping where I'll be on a trail and maybe I'm out, maybe this is my third day and I'm just happen to be going through an area that's popular with day hikers. And I'll hear a lot of, oh, you're, you're almost there, buddy. You're almost there. And it's like, you don't fucking know where I came from or where I'm going. How could you possibly know? And it's because of my size. You know, I, I look in the eyes of general society to be out of shape. So it's like this big attaboy moment, like, oh, look at the big guy out on the trail. Yeah, it's such a bummer. And I hadn't thought about that because I... I am not perceived as a bigger person. I'm I'm not tall and I'm not wide. I am not big at all. Uh, but I am not a guy. And as a result, I am also kind of seen as something that maybe doesn't belong. And maybe is like just out there doing my best for my first time. And I'm just, you know, in need of some cheering on. And I'm like, it makes you feel like you have to defend your uh, existence, that you have to prove that you belong somewhere. And I, I love that you brought up this topic because that, that's something that shows up in, in many areas, but specifically in the outdoors, it's just you, it's probably just you and somebody else. And they're being condescending and in my opinion, rude. Um, and, and you probably have, have feel the need. I don't think you have to, but you probably feel the need to respond to that. So what do you say? Um, so whenever I get like the obvious, like almost like body shamey comments, I just keep walking and pretend I didn't hear the person just completely blow them off. Um, when it comes to the equipment, and and gear gatekeeping you know if somebody's like oh well my pack weight you know is my base weight's eight pounds and and i only carry this plastic sheet to sleep under and and i can hike 50 miles a day i'm like cool man that sounds great enjoy that i'm never gonna do that because it to me personally it sounds terrible but if that's the thing you're into, if that's what you love doing, just knock yourself out and just 50 mile it uncomfortable with no shelter for however long you want. Like, go for it, man. I think that sounds great for you. <laughs> I I mean, I, I love that approach. 
because I have the exact same approach, but I also think that not necessarily that kind of gatekeeping, but gear gatekeeping in general in multitude of sports that I have taken part in, if you can call going on a trail a sport, it it is when it comes to adventure sports, but it's not like it's like in the Olympics, right? We're not, that'd be freaking cool. Um, uh, but like, I think that I think that gatekeeping when it comes to your gear can also be really classist and that that can make you feel like you're not good enough because the scars of poverty go kind of deep. And so I personally and it's funny when we first uh, before this before we started, I was laughing. I'm like, well, nobody gear gatekeeps me because my stuff is usually all pretty much not that great, which isn't true anymore. Uh, so I've got to stop that, stop that narrative. But I have had a tendency to show up in like a mesh shirt and booty shorts and like a small bag with some snacks and a water bottle to like a pretty serious day hike. And I'll see other people out there have like all the Patagonia gear and the trekking sticks and this, that, and the other thing. And Part of it is my own cockiness, which will probably bite me someday. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But the other part is that until very recently in my life, I was still using all of my parents who don't have a ton of money themselves, hand me down stuff. So my tent, when I went out with you, my tent was like 95. My Keltie was at like 90, maybe 89. Um, We're talking about gear that has so far from the technology that we see today that it's like unrecognizable. Like I look like I'm like a pioneer out there, like homesteading on the front, you know? Um, and, and I think that, I think that it can be a challenge to, to navigate that. Um, if you're somebody who isn't really proud of that, right. I will just straight up be like, this is my Kelty. It's from 89. I don't even care. It's your base weights pack. What up? I'm going to hike faster than you. Um, but some folks don't feel that way. Yeah. And to your point about it being classist, uh, even with modern backpacking equipment, like if you went into an outdoor retailer tonight and just geared up for a trip, like you didn't, you started from scratch, you didn't have any equipment, you go to your local outdoor retailer, the less expensive stuff is always heavier. And that's just how things are designed. Like the, the lighter weight, more technical fabrics, they're more expensive, so that gear costs more. So a lot of times, if somebody has, you know, the five-pound backpack and the three-pound sleeping bag, it's because those are the ones they could afford. And I am 100% in favor of people taking what they can afford, taking used gear, borrowing gear from friends, whatever it is you have to do, and and get out there and enjoy, you know, these public lands. And... It definitely is kind of classist. Like if you see somebody walking down the trail and they've got, you know, four grand worth of equipment on their back. Cool. Your $4,000 weighs 12 pounds. I don't have $4,000 to spend on equipment. Right. So my, my $800 weighs 35 pounds and I'm still out here and I'm still doing it. And I don't really need to hear shit from you about that. Exactly. And I haven't experienced that, uh, like I just expressed as much in, uh, in backpacking and in, in hiking or even in like trail running, but in mountain biking, I basically experience it in a constant fashion. If I happen to be in a place where other people are, there are people commenting about the fact that 
I don't have a $25,000 bike. And if I do, it's rented. Um, and for a long time, I didn't really have any gear. Uh, for a while, I was either wearing no helmet, which I do not recommend. Do not do that. It's a terrible idea. Um, or for part of the time, and this is absurd, I was wearing my go-karting helmet because I wanted my head to be safe, but helmets are actually kind of expensive. And at the time I didn't have it. And so I had a $200 Craigslist POS uh, that I bought off of this very tiny Russian lady who definitely was not great at mountain biking, um, but she was very, very nice. Um, And a mountain biking helmet. And then I'm like trying to take on these pretty serious trails. And it was a comment from every single person who would be near me. And it really made me feel pretty shitty. Like maybe if I don't have $50,000 to put into this sport, it's not the sport for me. Now my knee getting messed up kind of helped me uh, put some time in between that. Uh, But like, I think it, it, it might be a better approach for all of us. uh, And I guess this is obvious from the fact that we're on this podcast right now, but to find ways of approaching folks that are supportive instead of kind of nagging other folks that you see out there? Yeah. So the way I have always tried to combat this, and I I made a post about this on my Instagram a while back, and it got kind of a mixed bag of supportive comments and kind of shitty, crappy comments. But like, instead instead of coming up to somebody and being like, oh, well, that that backpack is crap or that that tent you have right there is a piece of crap. You know, I would approach it as, you know, I carried that pack for a while and these are the issues that I had. So this might be another option for you. You know, this other pack might be a better option because obviously, you know, you're struggling a little bit right now and I can see that. I think that the struggle is coming from this pack because I had that same pack before and I had those same struggles. So you might want to like check out this other option instead that might, you know, um, so offering solutions rather than offering criticisms. Right. And maybe, Hey, I, I had that pack for a while and it looks like you're struggling with the same things that I struggled with. Can I offer some suggestions for the ways that I dealt with that? Yeah. Is it rubbing on your lower back? Is it pulling on your shoulders in a weird way? Is it sitting in a weird way? Whatever it is, you could possibly offer the solutions that you've had, but for, for me and everybody does things differently, but for me, I always start with, can I make a suggestion or, uh, some version of that, whatever, whatever that is to you. Um, and like allow people to come in because, and I think that this is pretty gendered, like as a woman, I have so many people telling me, their suggestions for how I could better do the things that they uh, see me doing that they perceive themselves as better at. And it can feel like kind of honestly, um, fuck you when people make suggestions, even if they're saying it in kind of a nice way, if I haven't invited that, right? Like don't mansplain backpacking to me. I don't care if I'm struggling. I don't want your suggestion. If somebody comes up and is like, hey, it looks like you're struggling a little bit can I make a suggestion? And I'm like, yeah, then I've invited him in. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I try very hard not to give unsolicited advice unless I see something really egregious that I think like, okay, this needs to be addressed or this person's going to be leaving this area in a, in a helicopter. 
But, you know, unless unless it's something like life threatening, I'm not just walking up to random people on the trail and going, hey, here's some advice you probably don't care about. Um, so let me ask you this, because this is something I've witnessed on the trail. And um, I, I, I didn't intervene because I didn't think it was my place. But have you ever been on a solo hike and had somebody be like, oh, where's your significant other? Uh, every time I'm on a significant solo hike, uh, that has happened to me. Uh, it's almost always men over like 45 or 50, um, that say that I've had one older woman and this was actually on a three mile hike in Marin. And I suppose she saw that as possibly dangerous. Um, I saw it as a good excuse to drink coffee and walk around a little bit. Uh, but, um, she was like, Oh, are you, are you alone? And it was like, that, that was like really sweet. Like, yeah, I'm I'm alone. It's all good. (laughs) Like you're, you're fine. Um, and for, for me, it's lands somewhere between why are you so interested in, uh, me being alone? that makes me a little uncomfortable. And why can't I be alone? Especially when they're alone. Yeah. See, and that's the thing, like, and it's such a, it's such a weird double standard because no one would ever ask me that. No one would ever ask me, Oh, are you out here by yourself? Because it's just expected, you know, that a, that a guy, especially a big guy with a beard down to the middle of my chest, you know, well, of course he's hiking alone, but why, I, I guess I don't, I don't understand their perspective as to why a woman can't be alone or, or, you know, a, just anybody outside of like a large white cisgendered guy has to deal with that crap. And, you know, you're more fit and probably more capable on a lot of these trails than I am. It, it, it makes more sense physically for you to be out by yourself than it does me. I mean, f- fem- uh, um, women are to be protected. There is like a, a sense that like there needs to be vigilance. Um, my parents who taught me so much and brought me into the uh, into backpacking brought me into basically everything they made me comfortable with discomfort growing up and they're a huge part of why i am the person that i am today even they if i go on a significant drive if i um go on a significant trip certainly if i go in any significant uh backcountry experience it's it's like now Brian and I are basically always together, but prior to that, it was like, wait, you're going alone. Are, is anyone else? Are you sure you're going alone? Can, is it possible to not go alone? Like, have you considered not going alone? Um, I went, uh, I did one overnight in Lassen. Um, and I remember feeling really vulnerable and being like, okay, I'm proud of myself because solo backpacking, staying on the ground. Yeah that's something that's really pretty scary to me for the fact that I've been taught vigilance my whole life that like I being alone uh, in a, in a cloth house with no weapons uh, in a place that's, that's not by civilization. 
could be really scary. And it's funny because it's probably much scarier to be in civilization. There's a lot more people and people are probably what's most dangerous. Um, I've felt threatened by people so many more times in my life than I've ever felt threatened by a bear, which is what everybody's afraid of when it comes to the backcountry here. And anyway, um, and I remember that the fact that everybody kept pointing out my aloneness really amplified that vulnerability and made me, I mean, it made me rebel against it and be like, yeah, fuck you. I'm alone. I'm fine on my own. I don't need anybody. And I certainly don't need a guy to be here to protect me. But a lot of people don't have that salty ass response. <laughs> right. So how do we how do we combat that? Like what, what are some, some suggestions that you can think of? Like if, if I'm out on a trail next weekend and there's a woman walking alone by herself and some guy comes up totally unsolicited. Oh, where's your boyfriend? Where's your husband? Like what, what are, what are some, some suggestions? Like how do we, how do we change that mindset? Oh my gosh. I want like a quippy, fast answer to that. <laughs> I don't have one. Um, I, I think honestly that, okay, so I'm going to answer this in like multiple different ways from for you. I think it's really valuable. And this is a contentious issue um, that many people have different opinions on and that's fine. My personal opinion is that in a patriarchal society, pardon me, your voice is, is given more credence than me. And if we go into a backcountry environment, your voice especially has more credence than me. So that means that that guy who's saying like, oh, where's your boyfriend to, uh, to the woman, um, is going to respect what you say more than what she says. And you, what's cool is that allies can use that, right? Like you could possibly be like, why would she need a boyfriend here? And then just let it sit. Um, and that's that's my personal, bringing it back to me, my personal favorite way to address things is to simply um, ask things back to the people. Um, I've done this uh, when it comes to the isms, when people are being sexist or racist or homophobic, I'll ask people questions back. Like, what? why would she need somebody with her? Why would she need her husband? And then see them just flounder, right? Because the the assumption is probably not based on a thing, right? Like they're probably going to be like, uh, well, uh, I mean, it's, I'm just making stuff up, but like, it's dangerous out here. And you're like, where's your husband? <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's pretty good. See, I never know. I never know when to step in, I guess, in, in situations like that, because a big part of me is, is just like, I want to see this woman tear this guy, a new asshole and, and just tear him down and embarrass him. But as you mentioned, not everybody feels comfortable doing that. And there is a level of vulnerability there, you know? So it's like my, my gut instinct every time I see something like that is just to wait and watch. And then, if it gets like weirdly out of hand, maybe I'll step in and be like, Hey, you know, um, my favorite tactic when I see someone being put into an uncomfortable situation is like, 
So we'll go back to that scenario that this guy walks up. Hey, where's your where's your boyfriend? Where's your husband? And he just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And he's obviously making this woman uncomfortable. I'll, I'll walk up to her and I'll put myself in between the two of them. I mean, hey, are you doing OK? Do you need anything? Can I help you? And completely ignore the guy. Like, don't even acknowledge his existence. I love just, that. Just shut him down. And so, so I'm offering help and assistance without offering confrontation. Yeah, the the confrontation part is really hard. Um, there, there's two ways that that can go that aren't positive, and there's one that's positive, right? One is there could be uh, retribution, right? Like, say uh, some guy says something to me, and I'm like, hey, fuck you. Why would I need a husband to be on a trail? Or maybe something more confrontational than that. That wasn't a great confrontation. Um, but like they could respond in, in one of two ways. They could be like, oh yeah, fuck you. Like, you know, you're going to step to me. That's unlikely in that scenario, but it's happened to me a bunch when people are inappropriate in cities. Um, the other the other option that's negative is uh, some dismissal, right? That that will That will be like, kind of like gaslighting, right? And then they'll exit the situation as quickly as possible. Um, that can look like, oh, well, you didn't have to get so offended. That's not what I meant. Or some like snarky thing and it's a dismissal and then they walk away. The best option, of course, is that they're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. You're right. I'm so sorry. I was being sexist, but I also can't see that happening, right? So like, right. I, I don't, I don't see how that that situation could be positive from that perspective because they're already saying that they don't hold you to the same level of respect as they hold themselves or other male counterparts, right? Um, and so, like, if if you step in, then you have the privilege to like create space that he might actually think about. I fucking hate that, but that's that's what it feels like is is the truth of our current society. Yeah, it's it's a hard area to navigate because you don't want to step on. I don't want to step on her toes. Like I, I don't want to immediately assume that she needs some man to step in and protect her. Right. Of course. But at the same time, there are some wildly dangerous men out in the world. And, you know, so I, you got, I have to find that balance, but that my tactic has, like I say, my tactic has been uh, this kind of non-confrontational offering assistance to the person who's being made feel uncomfortable and ignoring the person who's making them feel uncomfortable, like just pushing them off, literally sometimes pushing them off to the side and inserting myself directly in between the two people and just being like, Hey, you doing okay? Can I help you out with anything? Do you, do you need to borrow my water filter? Like, how can I help you right now? Okay. Yeah. No, I love that approach. I love that approach because what it does is it, um, it, I, I want to use the word de-amplify, but I don't think that that's a word. I'm going to use it anyway, right? Because they're taking up space and what you're doing is going, nah, your space, you're taking up too much space. I'm just going to cut your space out actually and just let this person have space. And that's that's using your privilege to support them too. But yeah, the do you like not being the big strong man who's white knighting it back in to support the woman is a really hard thing. Uh, and like... I think it's a really subjective and situational thing. I, 
I wish that there were better ways to support people that you see having uh, microaggressions, right? It's not like a guy's like about to swing on this girl or like trying to do some physical sexual assault thing, right? It's a, it's a little, I'm not actually sure I know the definition of microaggression. So I'm just using it as like a tiny thing against somebody that can be ignored, but also has a significant impact, especially when it happens multiple times. And like, it's hard to address those things because it's so easily dismissed. And I think that just finding whatever way feels right to, to you is probably the best way. But I do think like, I do think when we see things happening that don't feel right, and let's say the, the woman isn't talking back, that trying to support the situation in some way is probably the right. Yeah. So I think to me, microaggression, it, it, I've always taken that as things that the, the person saying it may in their own mind think are well-meaning. You know, like, you know, you're, you're almost there sounds supportive. Right. And they might mean it supportively, right? Like they're like, oh, it's, it's like this perception of you in my head, I'm being so supportive of. Right. But then you notice that they're not saying it to the 165 pound guy with like the visible abs through the super tight t-shirt. They're only saying it to the people that look like me. And, and it's the same thing with the, oh, where's your significant other? No one's ever going to ask me that. Never in my life, on any trail in the history of any time, is anybody going to ask me where my wife or girlfriend is. It's not going to happen. Because it's anticipated that somebody who looks like me is able to support themselves and survive and do the things you need to do alone in the backcountry. So that's, that's a situation that I'll never deal with. And so... It, while they might think, oh, it's just this well-meaning, like, are you sure you're safe out here by yourself? It's really a dig at like, oh, you're, you can't be out here by yourself because you're, you're feminine. You can't be out here by yourself because you're, you're tiny. You can't be out here by yourself, you know, because you present a certain way or, you know, and it's, and it's like, it's just this weird thing. Like, I've had it happen multiple times, especially on longer sections of the PCT where I'll be coming up towards a summit and there'll be three or four people. You know, the PCT is a fucking highway. It's always crowded. You can barely find solitude out there anymore. Um, So there'll be three or four people in front of me who are all like super fit, like 19 year old go getters with like 20 pound backpacks and the person coming down from the summit Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? And they get to me. Oh man, you're almost there. You know what? Fuck you. Like, <laughs> and so it's, it's a weird hypocrisy where it's like in their head, I think to some degree, they think they're being supportive. You know, they think they're being helpful. They think, they think just based on the physicality of whoever it is, they're saying this shitty thing too, that this person is in need of support. You know, whether it's a, a femme presenting person walking by themselves or a bigger person, you know, walking up a steep hill, like, oh, there's this perception that this person needs support. This person needs support. And so in my mind, that's what microaggressions are, is is things that are thought to be well-meaning, but are actually 
pretty shitty things yeah, to say. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you for the validation that I'm using the words correctly. Um, and like, I was thinking, well, I was thinking about this. So like, is there a way to be supportive that isn't interjecting? Like, I'm just going to continue to circle back to the same example that you proposed. Like guy is saying this to the, to the woman. Is it possible that the, the right move is not to interject in that moment, but to actually just be supportive of her or to say something to him. And that led me down this road of being like, is it ever supportive to put, uh, to, to put front and center, to, address somebody else's otherness like is it ever gonna feel good if somebody is like it's really cool that you a woman is out here by themselves like is it is it ever gonna feel supportive that like somebody's like you a bigger person you're climbing that hill i think that's tight like i don't think that is ever going to feel good so maybe the most supportive thing that any of us can do is not point out the otherness of somebody that we encounter doing the same things that we're doing. Yeah, and my general approach to that, whenever I pass anyone on the trail, is just like, hey, what's going on? How you doing? Where are you coming from? Right. You know? And and if they don't respond, cool, have a good hike. And then that's it. You know, I, I never push it. I never expect the response. I never, you know, I never get insulted if somebody doesn't answer my question or whatever. But it's never... It's never uh, highlighting the otherness, as 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 you were saying. You know, it's always just like we're the same. We're we're both out here. We're both walking on the same trail. We're both probably suffering a little bit. You know, it's uh, just how you doing? How's it going? How you feeling? Where are you coming from? Right. Exactly. Treat everybody like they belong because they do right? Like every single person that you see doing the thing that you're doing, they're also doing it. And so they, and I'm saying doing the thing that you're, you're doing instead of being on the trail, because I want to include my mountain biking experiences as well. Um, and like, honestly, I, I kind of like dabble in a bunch of different places. And the, the more I think about it, the more just being like exactly what you do, like you see one person who looks one way and has I, this bag of identities and it's like, hey, how you doing? Where are you coming from? How long you been out here? Cool. You don't want to talk or cool. You do want to talk. And then a different person with another bag of identities, exactly the same response. I wonder if there's more we can do to support um, folks that might not feel like they belong mainly because other people point out that they don't belong. Um, but I, I keep landing. I keep going back to the best thing is just support everybody or, uh, approach everybody the same. What are your thoughts? Yeah. And that's, that's basically how I approach it. A, a pretty good example, uh, my Ruby crest trail hike a while back. Um, I was coming in over, by far the most difficult part of the trail. And I'm, I'm working my way up to the highest summit on the Ruby Crest Trail. And a solo woman was coming walking the other way. And I could tell as we got closer, you could sort of see her body tense up. Like she's like, oh, what's this interaction going to be like? You know, here's this guy out here in the woods. Like, what is what shitty thing is he going to say to me? And I was just like, you're the first person i've seen in two days and she's like 
you're the first person I've seen in three days. I'm like, cool. Where are you headed to tonight? Oh, I'm headed to such and such a lake. How about you? I'm headed to this other lake. Oh, that's where I camped last night. Uh, The water there is really bad. You need to go to this creek over here. I'm like, oh, okay. I passed uh, a little stream. Then you can you can refill there. But then there's no water for like six miles. And we just kind of shared, you know, beta about the trail. And and that was it. And you could see like I could see like physically her like as she was coming towards me, she tensed up, tensed up, tensed up. And then the interaction was just like, yo, here's some details about it. And I saw her relax. Yeah, that's a breath of fresh air. And it made me a little bummed, like, because, you know, I carried on the rest of the way by myself because we were walking opposite directions. And that that interaction stuck with me because it was like, I'm walking up towards her and she obviously knows nothing about me and I know nothing about her, but she's had enough negative experiences on that trail that it was just like, here comes again. Here comes some dude with a backpack who knows everything. who's going to talk shit to me. And I was just like, we're both, we're both doing the same thing. Like, like we're on it. We're on a level playing field. And I watched her whole body relax where it was just like, oh, okay. This wasn't a terrible interaction. And that made me feel kind of shitty. Like not, I felt great about our reaction, but I felt shitty for her and for what her next interaction might be. Right, right. So we've talked a lot about uh, like how to how to support femme folks on the trail, but you initially talked about some body shaming things, and it's something that I've thought a lot about. And honestly, your your um, input on it has has been illuminating. I think I think folks with with specifically bigger bodies but like honestly many different shaped bodies I know that some folks who have like um what would be considered a disability or amputations also probably address those things but like what are your thoughts on supporting more body positivity in the backcountry So I have a lot of thoughts about that actually and it, there's some cool things happening within the outdoor industry right now where a lot of companies are are making clothing and equipment for bigger bodied people and that's something that didn't exist before like it's i'm in this weird middle zone where i'm not considered you know plus size but i'm also not like looked at as fit you know so most of my most of my clothes are in the xl range and that's where most outdoor clothing stops. It's where most clothing stops. Right. Um, so in one regard, I'm fairly lucky where it's, it's actually pretty easy for me to just walk into any outdoor retailer and go to like the discount rack because that's where all the XL stuff ends up. But if I were slightly bigger, if I were a 2XL, there's not a lot out there. There's not backpacks that fit. There's not, uh, you know, hiking pants and shorts, like the technical type hiking shorts and and like the wicking sweat wicking t-shirts and base layers and stuff like that a lot of that stuff doesn't come in anything bigger than xl so if i were if i were 10 pounds bigger this would not be my hobby not because i wouldn't want to do it but because i wouldn't have access to the equipment so what's been happening a lot now and there's i'm going to give a shout out which is something i don't usually do but there's this gentleman andy neal and he has a, the Hiker podcast. 
and it's typically one of the highest rated outdoor podcasts on Apple on the Apple Podcast app. He does a great job and he is like going directly to companies and being like, what do you have that fits me? What can I wear? You know, cause he'll have companies call him like, Oh, we'd like you to, we want to do an ad on your podcast. No, I can't wear any of your clothes. Oh, that's fucking amazing because I only recently learned this and this is absolutely uh privilege. I re- only recently learned from an amazing post from somebody that I follow um, that a lot of sleeping bags, which of course, a lot of sleeping bags, I feel like they're too small. And I, for reference, anybody who doesn't know me personally, uh, currently I'm 5'3". I guess that doesn't change that much. Um, but currently I am uh, like 100, somewhere between 110 and 115 pounds. So I'm a pretty small person. Um, and uh, And if sleeping bag feels really small on me, then somebody who is in an XL or, or sorry, XXL or 4XL is just literally not going to fit in it. And I never thought about your sleeping bag as a piece of gear that would exclude you. But if you don't have a sleeping bag, you're fucked. And buying two that zip together is not going to work either. Those You don't get backpacking sleeping bags that zip together that I know of anyway. Right. And so it's a really interesting example because... Bags are sized differently per season. And I'm just big enough that I can't really get like a really honestly warm weather sleeping bag. Like I I have a 40 degree bag that I got from Mountain Hardware. And it's so tight and so constricting that I just I can't get good sleep in it. So I'm out hiking in the Nevada desert in July with a fucking 22 degree bag. Because that's the one that fits me. So, I mean, I'm, I'm carrying a bag in the summer that's designed for near freezing. Right. And this is specifically notable because I remember we were talking about uh, snow snow backpacking. And you were like, oh, yeah, it's, it's not that bad. And I'm like, it's going to be so cold. And you were like, yeah, it's not that bad. And I was like how is it? And you're like, I run really, really warm. And so like you have to be, you having to be in a 22 degree bag. Right. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be switching this summer. I'm going to be switching to a quilt. I'm, I'm ditching the sleeping bag altogether because that way I'll have more room to move around. So I've ordered a, a fully synthetic fill 40 degree quilt. That's going to be my summer sleep system because I just, I physically can't fit into most summer rated sleeping bags. Okay. All right. So there is accessibility, right? Um, and, and I love this cause I'm not going to go too far on this tangent, but in, uh, the strength world, many, many things didn't fit smaller people, um, until very, very recently. And having, I just had in a conversation with an athlete that I, um, I work out with on Tuesday nights, who's a friend. And she was saying that when she was traveling, they didn't have bars that fit her hands. So for reference, there are smaller bars and bigger bars for bigger hands and smaller hands. Um, and they didn't have a bar that fit her and she brought her own bar and they wouldn't let her use it. Um, and so it's interesting how not having access to the thing that you need to do, the thing you want to do means that you can't do the thing you want to do. And it completely excludes you. Like, you know, you can get away from microaggressions. That, like, almost feels like an aggression. Well, I think the perception for a long time 
was that people of a certain size didn't backpack. And it's and it's obviously not true. Right. Of course. But within the outdoor industry and within the, the companies who make gear, you know, they, oh, well, triple XL doesn't sell as well. So we're just not going to make it, you know, or, you know, you got backpacks that like, when I very first got into backpacking, most packs, like the biggest pack I could get, the hip belt would accommodate a 41 inch waist at max. Okay. I mean, how many people do you personally know who have more than a 41 inch waist? So you'd have to literally go to a alterations place, I guess. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I guess you get like, you can get extra webbing and like MacGyver something together. I'm not really sure. I mean, I was lucky enough that my waist was a 40. That's uncomfortably but, close to the lap belt airplane issue. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so now, like just now, like within the last two or three years, you're seeing backpacking companies like, oh, okay. So like this new pack that I just got, um, that I took to Utah with me, it's, it's sized for up to 41 inches, but it can accommodate up to 51 inches. Okay, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, so it's like it's like ideal for someone who's between like 38 to 41 inches, but it will also fit a bigger person. It, you, it, you know, you have enough webbing that you can accommodate a bigger person. And that's, I, I think that's really important because there there is absolutely a level of almost corporate gatekeeping in that, where it's just like, we are not going to make clothes that you can wear. So you're just going to have to go hike in jeans and cotton t-shirts, which depending on the weather can be dangerous because cotton doesn't dry as quickly as some of these more technical fibers. So, but if you can't get a sweat wicking base layer in your size, what's the next best thing you go and you get like a cotton thermal underwear kit, you know, and if you're going out in the really cold weather, that can actually be dangerous because you're you're putting yourself at a higher risk for hypothermia because cotton doesn't dry as quickly as these these polyester sweat wicking fabrics do. And so now, but now we're finally seeing companies, you know, okay, we're going to offer these base layers in double XL and triple XL. It's just so funny because I've had, um, and and I I hope this doesn't come off as in any way like uh, dominating, but like I've had the exact problem, but in reverse. Um, like I, I've expressed in the strength world, there's a lot of issues. Like I couldn't get, um, I couldn't get a weightlifting belt that was small enough for me. So my waist was 22 inches at the time. And the smallest one that I could find was a 25. So for those who have never used a weight belt or don't know how they work, they're required to be fully tight for you to be able to push against them and create tension. And so that means that you just can't use a weight belt, which means that you can't get to your higher level of lifting. Or most people can't because most people use a weightlifting belt. So it's interesting to like hear that in another context. And I have not had a, I've not had the context of uh, double XL, triple XL, whatever it is, but I have in the, in the smaller range and how much it makes you feel like you have to fight just to exist in, in the world doing the thing that you do. And 
for reference, I was already coaching as well. So I fucking definitely belong if you have to prove it in any way, which you don't. Right, definitely. And then I think those are definitely two sides of the exact same coin. I think, you know, in the weightlifting world, it's expected that these you're going to be this big, bulky, strong, thick person, you know, and then in hiking or or mountain biking or long distance running or any, you know, more aerobic type sport, it's expected that you're going to be, you know, oh, we're going to make a whole bunch of medium sized t-shirts and, and running shorts that can only go up to like a 32 inch waist because that's the size that people are when they do these things. So I think those are the exact same kind of gatekeeping because there's, you've got this preconceived notion of who's participating in that specific activity. Exactly. And not having the thing that you need to do, the thing you want to do makes it so you don't feel like you belong and that's fucked up. So making sure that we've got gear in all sizes. And I know that visibility helps a lot too. Do you have any other suggestions for supporting all bodies in the outdoors? Search like Instagram and other social media you're going to find dozens of uh, accounts that are, you know, plus size hikers, plus size rock climbers, plus size runners and follow them, give them support, follow their YouTube channels, give them positive support because I've seen it. I follow a bunch of those pages and, and we all chit chat and support each other you know, in, in comments and in direct messages and stuff like that. But I see all the toxic crap that people have to put up with. And I'm, again, I'm in this weird space where I don't necessarily get affected by a lot of that stuff because I'm kind of big. I'm kind of mean looking. I'm definitely covered in tattoos. You know, I don't, I don't look like I'm going to put up with a bunch of shit and internet bullies are absolute cowards. So they're going to pick on the people who, who don't look like they're going to fight back. Like no one's coming at me with that kind of negativity, but they might come at a woman who has an Instagram handle, like fat girl hiking. They might come after her and say something terrible. Right. You know? Um, and that's a real Instagram that you should all follow, by the way. She's fantastic. Uh, so you suggested one. I'm going to suggest one. Unlikely Hikers is a really good one, too. I follow them as well. Um, that's, that's a fantastic page. I actually found out about Unlikely Hikers through Andy Neal, who I mentioned earlier. And while we're while we're name dropping, his Instagram is Andy Films and Hikes. And he's fantastic. He's super posy. He's great. And he's actually creating the kind of change that we're talking about is needed. Like he's, he's taking an active role in holding these companies accountable and, and making products that, that people my size can wear. What an incredible fucking force. Uh, okay. Do we want to talk about the trips? We didn't quite get to media. So maybe we'll make that our next episode. That I honestly did not think we were going to stretch gatekeeping out for an hour, but we did it. So yay. <laughs> yay us uh we'll revisit we'll revisit media we can dip into it a little bit i think um well we're gonna dip into it with our trips so our three favorite pieces of media that we carry on outdoor adventures yeah so that yeah basically the three things that we feel are most important to create media in the on our adventures do you yep right is that what we're is that what we're talking about i think that 
I think so. I think we're figuring it out right now, but let's let's do that. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, I'm really excited about this because you have a different media that you create than I do. I'm more into stills and you create this like really uh, immersive experience that's like, oh, wow, I'm here, but with you. And they're totally different. So what's your first? The number one thing that if you're going to make video in the backcountry, and this is, this is going to be very specific to video, you absolutely need a microphone with with like some kind of a windsock wind wind protection i hate the term just I, i'm vegan so i hate I, they call it a dead cat and that there has to be a better name for that but it's the fuzzy gray blobby thing that you see on top of a lot of microphones that prevents wind noise there is nothing harder to watch on youtube than you know you're really into somebody's hike you're really into this area that they're in and then all of a sudden it's just <laughs> And I have no idea what you're saying anymore. So my number one most important thing, if you're a video creator outside, a decent mic with wind protection. I'm so excited that you said that. Um, do you have any suggestions um, asking for a friend? <laughs> I, I really like the Rode Video Micro. Okay. All right. Um, my first one... I. I know that I intentionally said this as like a joke in the beginning, but I'm going to go with my phone. Um, your response was perfect. And your response was any camera that's in your hand. Yeah. The best, the best camera you can carry is the one that's in your hand. Right. And I have a new iPhone and so it's got a great camera on it. Um, it doesn't have the depth that DSLR has. It doesn't have a lot of what you can get out of a, out of a full size camera to my absolute chagrin, um, because I don't like carrying things and I like how small it is. Um, but the ability to, uh, just really quickly, uh, see what you are seeing is immensely important to me for two reasons. One, I really like to share that stuff, but two, I really like to revisit it. And some of my, the, the photos that get posted are almost never the ones that I look at and think about. The ones that I look back on are usually a little bit blurry, maybe not well lit, maybe they're not well framed, but they are at that one point in that trail where I just looked up and went, what the fuck? How am I standing here? This is amazing. And so you can pull your phone out, take a quick shot, don't think about it. It doesn't interrupt your experience at all. Put it back in your pocket and you'll be able to revisit that memory later. And that's in that's just as valuable as anything you put into the social world. Agreed. Absolutely. Uh, so my second one may come as a little bit of a surprise, but it's a, a pen and a notebook. Oh, I love this. Yeah, this is so important for video creators because inevitably you're going to be walking along the trail you might be in a spot where there's like a lot of exposure and it's just not feasible to whip your camera out right now and, and do like a dialogue bit or like, I always call them talking head segments. Um, Cause you know, you could just fall off the cliff and then somebody's going to find your camera Blair Witch style later down the road. <laughs> um, so I always carry a notebook and a pen and you can use the notepad in your phone, but again, that's, you know, you're pulling a thing out and typing. And um, so the, the notepad and pen, and I'll just jot down, you know, I'll be walking past. I'm like, oh, man, I really want to talk about 
how my new shoes are feeling. So I'll just write down the word shoes. You know, or I, I really want to talk about um, how disappointed I am in this new water filter that I'm carrying. And I'll just write down filter. And so I have these little jotted down like shorthand notes. And when I get to some place where it is appropriate to pull out the selfie stick and the camera and the microphone and, and do the whole thing, I can look at my notebook and go, okay, I'm going to just crank out these little things. And then when I'm home editing, I drop them in where they make sense, even though they were all filmed in exactly the same spot. So a lot of times you'll be watching my videos and it'll be like this obvious like redwood tree behind me. And then I'll be walking and there's no redwood. It's because I filmed like six or seven little talking head bits where I was safe and comfortable. But then I edit them into the video where it makes the most sense. Oh my God. I love that so much. Um, because what I'm picturing is like, you know, in the um, shows like Alone or Old School Survivor, there would be like a scene where people are doing things and then a scene where they're talking about it, but they're like obviously in a room, but like your room is the redwood tree. <laughs> yeah. there's You'll see a couple in the Utah videos. Um, there was something I talked about on the first day of the trip that is going to make more sense in context of what happened on the second day. And so I'm like very obviously in this tiny little narrow Canyon talking about a thing that has nothing to do with a very tiny narrow Canyon, but it has everything to do with this big wide open space that I'm, that I'm going to drop this thing in. So it's going to be kind of a funny, like, I don't know. I always wonder if, if people notice that kind of stuff, like, it's just like, you are like very clearly not where you're talking about, but it just, it just makes more sense within the context of the video to put that dialogue in this other place. Okay. All right. My, uh, my second one is uh, GoPro. My uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times. I keep referring it to as an, to it as a knee problem, but actually what I have is a right leg problem that I've been dealing with since February. Um, and uh, because of that, I will get pain at some point. And it's not totally clear. I have a whole medical team. We're working on it. It's not totally clear exactly uh, what sets it off uh, or when it's going to subside or how bad it's going to be. So what what that's caused me to do is stay much closer, right? Uh, backpacking and, and backcountry is about getting far out. Um, and for me, it's about especially getting far out, away from people as best I can. And that becomes a really scary endeavor when it comes to pain. And so what's happened is I've gotten really into free diving and paddle boarding. Um, and uh, those are aquatic. And as a result, none of my current or none of the equipment that I had worked and GoPro is, is absolutely the right, the right move. Even though right now I'm looking at um, apparatuses for my DSLR because I'm getting slightly obsessed with photography underwater. Um, but the terrestrially, I loved my GoPro for long, long videos. So like I have a mount for a backpack and it can go on there and then you can film for a long time and put it in fast. And I don't know, I don't know if, if y'all love that, but I love that watching trails on fast motion is such a fun thing to do. Um, and so I do trails and I just set it because it's got 15 hours that it can just run. And then I can just press faster, faster, faster on the video and I can watch it in like two minutes. And I just think that that's so much fun. <laughs> All right. Fair, fair. 
Um, so my third and final thing to carry that I think is essential for any kind of content creation out, out outdoors um, is like a microfiber cloth to clean your lenses, whether it's the lens on your cell phone or the lens on a DSLR or a mirrorless, your GoPro, whatever it is you're carrying, you're going to get stuff on that lens. And I have so many videos of my own personally that I've posted where I'm in the editing process and I'm like, oh, you didn't clean your lens, jackass. And you can see it like it's it, everything just looks weird, like it's covered in Vaseline or something. So, yeah, my the third thing that I think is wildly important is some kind of a microfiber cloth to clean your lenses. Oh, my God, I couldn't agree more, um, especially for things that stay near your body. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like I, I have so many shots that I got with my iPhone because that was the camera I had in my t- in my hand at the time. And I can tell just by looking at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's still covered in sweat because it was in my pocket and I didn't wipe it off before I started filming. Yeah. Uh, Okay. so my final one is uh, a tiny backup battery. Um, So I have a tiny battery that I can charge other things off of. It doesn't have a ton of power because it's really small and as a result, very light and packable anywhere. But if my whatever is about to die, I can give it another 10 or 15% and I can get that shot or honestly, you know, look at my phone and look at a map one more time or whatever it is. So it's not just for content creation. It could be practical for other things. Um, But I almost always use it for charging media devices, not for charging my phone, which is also a media device, but um, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I carry a big battery pack. It's a 20,000 milliamp anchor battery pack. And I can get four full charges of my iPhone and two charges of my Canon mirrorless camera with it. So whoa, yeah, it's it's but I go out for three, four or five days at a time, you know, and I'm not I'm not anywhere where I can even consider plugging anything in. So I yeah, I carry this big, it's a pretty big, bulky, kind of heavy battery pack. But it keeps all my stuff fully charged up. Yeah, I mean, sometimes things are heavy and they're necessary. And that's just the way that it is. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I have a couple of smaller backup batteries that I'll carry on. Like if I'm going on a day hike or something like that, I have one that'll give me like one full charge of the iPhone and then it's done. Mm-hmm. But typically, I have this big, I mean, and it's it's big. It's probably, I don't know, 10 inches long and maybe three inches wide. But it's it's 20,000 milliamp. And so it'll charge, like I said, it'll charge my phone like four, maybe five times and my Canon once. That's a hell of a battery. Yeah. All right. Well, we did it again. We got it. We got it done. Um, another episode that didn't go as we planned. I think that's kind of the theme of the podcast. <laughs> I like that theme. Especially because of our general um, general theme, which adventures never go exactly as planned. It's true. But uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will catch you on the next one. I'm going to go ahead and just drop all of our links down in the show notes so we don't have to repeat those over and over again. But if you're interested in finding us on other social media platforms, all that stuff is in the show notes. 
yeah, go find us and reach out. Say hi. Say you found us here. We want to hear from you. And if you have topics or you're interested in coming on and chatting with us, we'd love to hear you too. All right. We'll catch you next time.